Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Well, it's not really about the Kiwis, but we're going to have a look at this from good to great one shot. Yeah, that's what I mean. Hmm. You like that, Louis? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that too. That's one opportunity. That's right, the rumours just won't go away. Once again, Reese Walsh has been linked to a big money move to the Dolphins. And to top it off, Reese Lightning has been given a spot on the Maroons' extended bench, a massive tick from the impressive first-up coach Billy Slater. So what are we to take from that? The rumour that won't go away, and two, that this kid is destined for higher honours. For me, it's about the importance of surrounding himself with capable people who can manage expectation and furnish decisions that can help Reese Lightning reached the top. We all know that the kid can play, but one wrong move can change all of that in a blink of an eye. One poor decision can alter the path of which greatness is achieved, and if this kid can make Billy Slater side so young, and from a team who is so underperforming, imagine what he could achieve if his advisors plan a path that has him playing for a top four club. Reese Lightning, from good to great, one shot. Oh. Kimp, hey. Off the back fence with Tony Kemp. I thought you were going to go Kiwis, but it's actually another New Zealander. <laughs> he's got one shot. He does. He's got all the talent in the world. And I like what you're saying there. It's not necessarily on him. It's on the people around him as well. Well, it, it isn't on him. It's, he's the talent. You know, and I've seen this happen time and time again by decisions that have been made which are poor that affect that jump from good to great. And, you know, when I looked, picked up the, uh, the the news yesterday that he'd made the extended bench, and this this is the point. Billy Slater, you know, who went out and, and won that first game that no one, had, no one picked him to do that, first-time coach, thinks that in his 22 um, maroons that Reese Walsh deserves an extended bench spot. I was like, wow. Like, what does that say about this kid in that Warriors side? 
Well, uh, that he's an uncut gem, I guess. That's oh, you couldn't put it any better, Louis. He's, Seriously, he's, he's he's got that little bit of magic, but he needs somebody to be able to help him polish it together. And of course, it's Billy Slater. You know what I mean? So he goes and spends a, like we're talking about Roger Tuivasa-Sheck yesterday. You know, going into the All Black setup and 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 getting that IP. It's the same thing. So yeah, that rumor that won't go away. Man, that's scary. Reese Walsh into the Maroons squad. All things rugby league this week as we head towards some te- a test match. Jesse Bromwich named Kiwi's captain. We're going to try to catch up with Dylan Brown in the next hour. I mean, the possibilities for Reese Walsh, are they endless? Is he an uncut gem? Do you see what Billy Slater sees? 0800 150 Give us a call. Let's talk about it. 12 away from 8. Oh, it's a big week. The return of International Rugby League after a layoff that no one would ever want to see again. He's a star in the making if he's not one already in the NRL. Uh, young half who hits pretty hard. I wouldn't call him an enforcer, but geez, I wouldn't want to run into one of those shoulders, Kempe. We've got Dylan Brown on the line. He's out of the media session right now. Morning, Dylan. How are you doing? Morning, good morning. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I'm feeling good. How are you Hey, Dylan, it's Kempe, mate. Uh, congratulations on your inclusion in the Kiwi team and uh, representing the, bla- the black jersey, mate. You must be excited. Yeah, 100%. Any chance to you know, get in some black kit is uh, obviously an unreal feeling, and uh, hopefully I can get it out there on the weekend and uh, be on. So, yeah, real keen. Mate, got enough tickets coming coming back. Um, Hikarangi Stags, I, I see that you come through from the Whangarei uh, crew up there, the whanau. They'll be on the phone to you saying, mate, make sure you got us some tickets. You got plenty? Yeah, hundred. All the fans, you know, those the mates hitting up at the last minute one saying, "Give me some tickets." I uh, had a few messages this morning, so um, I'm trying my best, but we'll have to see how we go. Hey, Dylan, I you know noticed that you ran into Benji when you ran out on the weekend. You must be um, so excited that you're filling the filling the number six jersey after you know, going and after Benji and his his electric career. What do you What do you hope to uh, bring to that jersey when you when you go out there against Tonga? Yeah, it's pretty pretty overwhelming when you say it like that. Obviously, he's the goat and he's done, done some amazing things, obviously, in the black jersey. Um, but, yeah, no, I feel like my role in the six is to um, just uh, have a down play footy and do what I do best. So I, I try not to think about it too much because when I do, you know, I get pretty nervous. So, um, but, yeah, I'm just glad to be in camp, hey. Yeah, it's a pretty cool feeling, mate. And the man speaking to you there, Kempe, like, he's too humble to say it, but he represented it, got to throw on that jersey, and I think he's filled with pride when he sees young young Kiwis coming through that know their place in history. But you must have modelled your um, playing style off some New Zealand rugby league legends coming through. I know you would have played against Benji a bit. Who are the guys that you look to and you think, oh, I can be a bit of that? Oh Well, obviously, like me growing up, I was uh, more of a union player and when I started watching League a bit more, it was, it was Shawnee Johnson in there doing his thing. So I feel like he's sort of the, the role model for me that I've always looked up to. And, um, yeah, no, hopefully um, I can chuck on um, some things that he can do. Obviously, you know, it's pretty, pretty hard to follow up from Shawnee. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, mate, you must be, you know, pretty uh, happy that Jerome Hughes is in the seven jersey. Um, yeah. You know, and, and Joey Manu's playing at fullback with Brandon obviously jumping out of the hooker. What a spine, mate. How's it shaping up at yeah. training? Yeah, no, that's right. No, we, we still yet to have our first training session. Um, that'll be today. But like you said, you know, having Hughes there is certainly massive. You know, he's going to be organiser there, which helps for me because, you know, me and my power managers, it's the same sort of role on the sixth end, which organises most of the things. So um, to have him there and enjoy money at the back, it's, yeah, it's pretty exciting. And like you said, yeah, Brandon too, he's just like having another lock at, at hooker. So uh, I'm sure he'll be on the ball a lot.
The the squad that's been named is pretty freakish, really. Like you know what it's like that top level in the NRL, and you hand picked a bunch of players out that are uh, all in that kind of top six. The Eels, you guys are sitting on twenty points in a cluster there with the Sharks, the Bronx. You're not too far away from the top four. How do you feel like your club season's going for Parramatta? Yeah, I feel like um, we're a bit all over the place, eh? Hey? You know, we know what we're capable of um, with Parramatta. Let's um, just find that consistency. Like you know, we went down to the Dogs. Um, they obviously played unreal as well, though. So. Um, for us to bounce back against the Roosters was very important because you just needed that, you know, heading into the second half of the season. You know, we need to be up there in the top four to give us every chance when it comes to finals. Yeah. Mate, you guys will be there. I know, no doubt, um, Dylan, and your football will go to another level after you go home uh, after representing New Zealand. That's just the go. Just to, just to give you a little bit of history on that jersey, there's a few Northlanders that have been in there. Olsen Filipina, um, he's from the far north from Kaikoui. Um, myself, I was, yeah, born in fa- I was born in Whangarei, um, but before wearing that as a caretaker with that jersey. And um, and now we're having another Northland kid out of Hikarangi Stags. Uh, mate, so proud of, of what you can do. Yeah, that's mean to hear. Mate, the, for- the forward pack, you know, you look at the forwards, you're playing, you know, obviously against a number of those uh, middle players, Nelson Sifos, um as well as the Bromwich boys. Uh, you throw in there uh, Fisher-Harris. What do you think the middle can bring to this game? Because that's where it's going to be won against Tonga, eh? Yeah. Well, like you said, those names there that you just mentioned, you know, when we come up against them and their club teams, it's the, it's the players we're watching out for and we're making sure we shut down. So to have them... Um, leading our pack forward is going to be unreal and it's going to allow us to um, play some good footy. But don't get me like, don't get us wrong. You know, Tonga's got a massive pack as well, so um, we're going to have our hands full. Okay. Hey, um, make sure you wear you know, your bright coloured tattoos today, mate, when you go to training. You know, you know the, you know the, uh, the initiation will happen today. It'll probably happen at the end of training. So have your huck yeah, down, yeah, have yeah, your yeah. huck down, Pat. And um, all the yep, best for hard, this hard, week. Hard. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching you, mate. I think you're the most exciting 5'8 we've had come since, Benji. And uh, looking forward to you building not only in this game, but through to the World Cup, mate. All the best. All the best from me. All the best from all the Kiwis uh, that have played before you and especially from all of our New Zealand whanau that will be supporting you this weekend. Thanks for coming on the show, Izzy and Kempi, for breakfast. Many, many thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Very kind words. Thank you, guys. No worries, Dylan. Champion. Was awesome every year. Every year. It is every year since 1948. I mean, or even older than that, surely. It's the longest nationally televised live dog show. It's uh, the second longest continuously held sporting event in the US, the Westminster Dog Show. And I've been very excited to do this interview for a long time, waiting for it to come around. The Star Ledger features and entertainment writer is Amy Kuperinski. She's on the line. Hey, Amy, how are you doing? How are you? Yeah, it was so good. The Westminster Dog Show. It's um, look, we don't know much about it in New Zealand, but every time it pops up and I see these dogs flying through the agility course, I think one yeah. day I want to talk about it. Can you give us the background on why this dog show is so prestigious? Well, it has been running for quite a long time. This is the 146th uh, event for Westminster. Um, and uh, it's just basically, we call it the Super Bowl of the dog show uh, world nice. because it's just the ultimate out there. But at the same time, it existed long before the Super Bowl. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, a matter of legacy, I guess. 
Hey, Amy, so the Super Bowl, they, the drafting system and all that sort of stuff, I guess for the breeders of these dogs, it must mean a lot if their dogs are uh, hopping up on that podium at the end of it. What does it do for the breeders? Um, well, I think, you know, uh, there's number one, prestige. Um, there's a lot of um, talk about, you know, the, the, the families of dogs, the lineage. Uh, when you get a, a Westminster contender, um, in the news, they're usually talked about in, in terms of like who their father, who their grandmother, what maybe the, maybe they have a Westminster winner in their family, which was certainly the case for last year's winner. Um, so that was a Pekingese named Wasabi, um, <laughs> little puff of a dog goes puffing around, and um, it's a it's you know it, they they often have um, repeat you know families uh, winning uh, best in show, and we we're waiting for best in show on Wednesday this, and um, basically you know you have a bunch of contenders that are from like sort of these legacy. Um, uh, breeder lineages, you know, where you have, and then the same thing goes for handlers, right? They they often return, like we had with, um, and certainly in the agility competition, which was just this weekend, um, you had the dog B, the Shetland, Shetland Sheepdog. Um, she won, and while she didn't win before, her handler did. So her handler um, previously won with another dog, a Border Collie. That was the clip I just played, B. What an absolute good girl she was uh, flying around there, the Shetland Sheepdog. What's the uh, prestigious event? Like, What is the one? Is it the best in show, which Wasabi is the defending champ, or is it the agility? The agility is my personal favourite, but I love it in the uh, best in show where there's that lady who I can only assume is the head judge walks around and kind of culls them off if they've got a little bit of fluff missing or whatever. Right, yeah. So, so the traditionally sort of, uh, you know, the top, top uh upper crust i don't know if you want to call it at best in show that's what that is you know it's it's kind of um the ultimate but then again you know that's about breeding so mm. uh it's, it's conforming to a breed standard agility is not about that at all actually mixed breed dogs can compete in agility it's one of two events where they can compete the other one is obedience which is going on today um, so, you know, that is, uh, if you're talking about breeding, which Westminster has usually been a closely associated with, then you're talking about best in show. But if you're talking about, you know, sporting sort of events, um, agility is certainly the most interesting to watch. Hey, Amy, I, I, I guess the competitive nature from the, the breeders to the handlers to actually the dogs, there must be some, I guess, cheating that, that you guys, how do you, how do you handle that? <laughs> You know, like the, around the, the, the way that, you know, the dogs are looked after and make sure nothing untoward happens. You know, is there is there much of that cheating stuff going on in the background? Well, uh, you know, I, I it's funny. If you walk around, so normally the show is held, um, they, they do the, the sort of uh, first part of competition at uh, the piers in uh, Manhattan, and then they'll have the finals at uh, Madison Square Garden. This year and last wow. year, they had it at... Um, outside the city, about 20 miles outside the city in uh, Terrytown, New York, on the estate uh, called the Lindhurst Estate. Um, so this is very sort of regal grounds, green grass, and it's different now. Um, but before, you used to be able to walk around in the exhibitors, and you'd see them getting their dogs ready with, like, spray bottles and misting them and blow-drying their hair. And so it's like a little beauty salon, you know? And you could go up and talk to them. And so it's actually not as crazy as some like movies like when you 
watch like best in show that movie. <laughs> like it's not, it can't be, it can be kind of out there sometimes, but um, for the most part, it's pretty, uh, the, the, the handlers and owners are pretty approachable. Um, yeah, and um, yeah. so you, know, you don't see a lot of the sort of intrigue you might think that certainly probably happens at some point, but like um, I know there, there was a dog disqualified at another point um, recently because not this year, but another year because um, there was some, um, you know, conflict of interest amongst the, oh, you know, man. the owning family versus the judging family. And it was so, you know, there's a lot of um, I think the dog show world is very interconnected in the human way. <laughs> oh, it sounds like an absolute wild world. I want to find a New Zealand dog to come and raid your event. I want to find a New Zealand dog to come and take on the Westminster dog show. Double A, double three. If you've got a dog, what's its breed? Can we take it over there to have a go at the Westminster dog show? Amy Kuperinski, it's been fabulous talking to you. Love your work on the dog show. We've got to follow it for the rest of the event. Well, another major has been completed for the 2022 golfing season and another 20-something-year-old has declared himself not just as one of the best bull strikers on planet Earth, but a major champion. And maybe England's answer to the young wave of Americans wanting the next thing mantle. Matt Fitzpatrick held his nerve to win at the country club yesterday, finishing with a round of 68 to edge Will Zalatoris, who again falls one shot short of his made a ma- major triumph. Paul Hingham was covering the event for the BBC. He's with us now. G'day, Paul. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you, look? Yeah, no, we're good down here, mate. We love our golf in um, New Zealand. Unfortunately, our two Kiwis, Foxy and Danny Lee, didn't even make the cut. Whereas your man, he went on to, well, close it out in quite impressive fashion. How good was Matt Fitzpatrick over the week? I mean, he was he, he was stellar, wasn't he? I mean, he, he had maybe not the best couple of rounds in the middle, but that final round, I mean, it, we're still in a bit of a daze over here because obviously it's quite late at night, but... I think when, it, when it's all said and done and a dust has settled, that will be one of the best final rounds in a major. I think we've ever seen, really, just to, to hold his nerve the way he did under you know constant pressure from Will Zalatoris, constant pressure from Scotty Scheffler, and you know the bunker shot on 18, that will be one of the great closing shots of any major. You know, no real, no real place to go. Does he chip out? No, not a bit of it. He, he straight away said, I'm going for this. Went for the green, had to play a high cut, you know, across all kinds of trouble. You know, if that if that doesn't go the right way, if he mishits that, he's gone. You know, that's he's not even getting into a playoff, he is done. And it's to pull off that shot and force Will Zalatoris to try and make a putt for about 15 feet just to get into a playoff. I mean, it's unbelievable stuff from Fitzpatrick. And I think all of England is very, very proud of that young man. Yeah, I'd say. I've been up there when Feldo was winning loads of tournaments. He said it in his post-match tournament uh, media conference that he was like to win six major champions. Do you see him as the answer to the Nick Folder days uh, up there in England? Possibly. I mean, he's, he's obviously he's the lead and possibly only candidate in England at the moment. I mean, we've we've had the, the old guard of the Polters and the Westwoods and the Donalds never managed to get over the line to get that job done, you know, in the majors. He's got one. He's only 27. He's got plenty of golf left in him, yeah. And I think, importantly, he's got the game. You know, he hasn't got one real strength. He hasn't got one real weakness. And I think his major strength now is just his mentality. I mean, he started the final group at the USPGA at Southern Hills and he shot 73 to finish fifth. Never really got into that tournament, really, but he started that day three back and he, he never really got the sense. But I must admit, from the first tee shot he, he hit at uh, Brooklyn, you knew he was on his game. This guy was, he was going to take something special to beat this guy. 
He's got an all-round game. He can put, he can chip, he can hit irons. And his major flaw used to be that he wasn't as big. He couldn't hit it as long as the big guys. Well, he can hit it now. He's sneaky long. He, he can send it out there a good way, trust me. And with the Open coming up in three weeks, from a guy who's brought up on, on Lynx Golf, I mean, he'd be a brave man to back against him. Yeah, we'll cover the Open in a wee bit, Paul. I'd love to get your theories on uh, this year's Open because I think it's going to be a little bit special as well at the old course. But you make the point. He he actually said, I think back when Bryson DeChambeau was smashing 18 eggs and six protein shakes a day, he said, oh, anybody anybody could get bigger off the tee. It's not hard. The hard thing to do is accuracy. Is it true he's recorded every one of his shots since he was about 13 years of age? Because I've seen that reported a couple of places, but it sounds insane. It, it does sound insane, but him and Eduardo Molinari have a special database going where they, they input all the numbers. And yes, from about 15, I, I think it's pro rounds, as, pro rounds as well, but I mean, people have said it's every single shot, even just messing about with mates. It just shows the attention to detail, this guy. He's one of the hardest workers on the tour. You leave no stone unturned, and you've got to these days. You know, Like you said, Brooks can come up there, uh, Bryson can come up there, Dustin Johnson, and they send it such a long way. It's hard for guys like Fitzpatrick and your normal pro golfer to keep up with them. Now, whether they'll have to face these guys in the majors coming up is a different story with live golf and all the other shenanigans around in the world of golf at the minute. But let's not forget, Mr. Fitzpatrick can hit it. You know, he's not short these days. He can hit it as far as he needs to. And he's such a good iron player. He's such a good chipper now as well, even with that funny chip and grip that he's got. That Nobody seems to know how, how in the world he gets that to work. But he's such a good player. He, you know, he can he can match anyone these days, and I just think he's he's a absolutely he's a credit to himself, a credit to England, and I think he's only just getting started as well, which could be the scary thing for the rest of the tour. Hey, Paul, did the did the pedigree of um, Matt Fitzpatrick did it sort of catch everyone off guard, or has it been a story that's been brewing underneath up up there in England, and then everyone knew that uh, a, a champion uh, was in the making? I think this is one. I think this is a definite one. Depends on which side of the, of the Atlantic you sit on, whether you, you thought he could win a major or not. You know, he, he's won seven times on the DP World Tour, European Tour, as we like to call it in some places. You know, you don't win seven times if you can't play golf. You know, winning any golf tournament with, you know, mm-hmm. 150 odd players trying to win it is, is really tough. And to close out seven, and big ones, you know, big ones in Dubai and stuff. You know, the guy can win. He won the 2013 Amateur Championship, US Amateur, as we know, at the same course at Brooklyn. And that was a stacked field. You know, Bryson was in that field. Scotty Scheffler was in that field. That was a hell of an amateur field that he, that he beat at Brookline as well. And now he's doubled up. You know, only, only Matt Fitzpatrick and Jack Nicklaus have won the US Open and the US Amateur at the same course. Matt Fitzpatrick is the only non-American to win the US Amateur and the US Open. That is a hell of a pedigree that he's got for himself now. And I think it's just, for us on this side of the the Atlantic in England, I think it's just confirmation of the fact that he's got a a major game. I think in America, it might have taken him by surprise a little bit because he he doesn't play there full-time. He plays across the world, really, but in Europe and in America. But I think over here, we've always known he's got the game. We did wonder after the USPGA, that final round was a worry. You know, was that the pressure that just got to him? But he's answered that and then some as well. Yeah, he certainly has. Now, you called it shenanigans before, what's going on with LIV golf. Uh, <laughs> it's a very interesting time to be a professional golfer. I I kind of wondered with the Live Golf 
uh, set up if it was actually the DP World Tour, the European game that was more at risk of being hollowed out and devalued just by nature of what the the makeup of the field is going to look like. Um, yeah, your Westwoods, your Polters, those guys sitting around the table. Do you think that uh, English and European golf desperately needed this major champion? Like we've got obviously John Rahm for European golf was huge, but Matt Fitzpatrick as an English golfer and as a really well-spoken young dude who has a bit of that kind of Justin Thomas, um, Rory McIlroy, he's got that glint, he's got that flair, he's got that polish. Do you think that you really needed that and he's come along and won this tournament at the perfect time? I think with the, the European Tour, DP World Tour, is such an interesting situation. And I think you've got to almost separate the two things out in that players like John Rahm and, and McElroy and even Fitzpatrick to an extent, you know, they're not, you know, they don't play exclusively on the European Tour. You know, Westwood and Polter, they did not play exclusively on the European Tour. They play mainly on the PGA Tour. The big events on the PGA Tour, they turn up there. They turn up for the big events and the odd smaller events over here in the European Tour. But most of the time, they're playing on the PGA Tour. So the new live golf, it's not really stealing players from from the um, from the European Tour. It's mainly taking the big PGA Tour big names off them. And I think what's fascinating really is now they're banned from the PGA Tour, the European Tour has a really big decision to make because, you know, for 14 weeks of the year they'll be playing, but a lot of other weeks you're going to have the likes of, um, you know, Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson and Westwood and Polter who have got nothing to do. They can't play on the PGA Tour because they're suspended. Will the European Tour then allow those guys in and sort of launch almost a a war against the PGA Tour with providing them an alternative place to play? Now, they've got a strategic alliance with the PGA Tour, in inverted commas, because we've not really seen much of that. Whether they could also ban those players and sort of make sure that they can only play and live and nowhere else is, is... is, is the big question facing the European Tour. But he, he's a great ambassador for European golf, Matt Fitzpatrick. European Tour is a slightly different story just because he doesn't play in the, those events week in, week out. He turns up for the big ones. So for the European for the European golf, it's, it's fantastic. And hopefully going towards the Ryder Cup and things like that, he'll be you know our leaders along with with Rory and Rahm. For the European Tour and their battle against Live Golf, I, I think it's a different story altogether. Hey Paul, we're only a month out from St Andrews, and I, I love that uh, that event. It's just loaded with um, stories at the end of the week, and we've seen some players coming into good form here um, as we lead into this tournament. What what can we expect? Uh, do you think from that tournament is it is it going to play out with the Schefflers and the and the McElroys and of course our man that's just won Matt Fitzpatrick? Or are you guys thinking that it's there's some other Europeans over there that might be hitting the front? Um, line at the end of the week? Well, I think I mean, it's going to be so special. The 150th Open at the home of golf at St Andrews. It's such an incredible, if you've ever been, if you haven't been to any golf tournament, if you need to go to one, it's this one. <clears throat> and it's going to be an absolutely fantastic event. And there will be a story. You know, there'll be someone from somewhere that we don't know, un- unheralded local star, who will, you know, come up with a, a first round lead or a second round lead or be there or thereabouts. But I think what recent history is telling us in the majors is it will be the big guns, and more importantly, the big guns in form. You know, we got spoiled didn't we, by Tiger winning sort of every other major he played in, which was just an unbelievable run. What we're seeing now is sort of a part-time streaky dominance in the sport where McElroy can win four majors, Spieth can win a few, Brooks Kepka can win four out of, I think, six or eight it was in a fantastic run. And then they sort of tail off a bit because you cannot maintain that sort of level 
of dominance in a major, you know, a major golf format, unless you're Tiger Woods. So I think what you're going to find now is you're going to find Scheffler, Fitzpatrick, Zalatoris, Morikawa, even who had, you know, three fantastic rounds at Brookline with just one really bad round in the third round, taking them out of the picture. But I think you're going to find the big ones who are in form because as we've seen, Scheffler's there or thereabouts. Fitzpatrick, now that's two majors. He's been in the final group. Who's to say he can't do it at St. Andrews? Will Zalatoris, second and then second. This guy, we've got to give Will some, some credit. He did not back down. He didn't flinch. He didn't lose that. Fitzpatrick won it. So with the mentality he's shown, especially for a guy who's never won on a PGA Tour, let alone a major, he'll be there or thereabouts again. So I think it will be one of these guys because I just think with only three weeks, the form will not go. You can take that form into the next round. And I think maybe Ram would be the worry because I think his final round at the US Open was really poor, but he should be there thereabouts again. Rory McIlroy is obviously the interesting one. You know, he's like the flag bearer almost of normal golf, PJ Tour and European Tour against the live golf. He's had that. He won the Canadian Open the week before. So he had a lot on his plate heading into the US Open. And yet he managed to he finish in the, I think he was fifth, tied fifth again. And he's finished in the top eight now of all three majors this year. And he's never done that before ever in his career. So, you know, he's waited eight years to win a major. That's long enough for a player, you know, as talented as Rory McIlroy. So I think it's going to be one of those familiar names that's going to be listing the Claret Jug in just, I think it's three weeks' time. Yeah, it's coming up fast, Paul, and you're so right on Will Zalatoris. And an alternate reality, just a slightly one, he he could have won three majors on the trot here, so we've got to give him a massive shout-out. Appreciate you and your time today. Great work uh, covering the event for the Beeb. Um, it was great to read your stuff and enjoy the old course for the 150th version of well, edition of uh, the Open. What an absolute spectacle it'll be. Thanks for your time, Paul. Cheers. It could prove to be a landmark vote which changes the way many sports handle in the area, which has been highly scrutinised for many years now. FINA, Swimming's World Governing Body, has voted to stop transgender athletes from competing in women's elite races if they have gone through any part of the process of male puberty. They will also aim to establish an open category at competitions for swimmers whose gender identity is different than their birth sex. Dr David Gerard is Swimming New Zealand's president. He's also a Commonwealth Games gold medalist himself in his very own right, and he spent a lifetime in medicine and sports science, becoming a professor of medicine at Otago University. He's with us now out of Budapest, where the world champs are happening. Evening to you, David. How are you doing? Oh, kia ora. I'm I'm doing well. It's a little bit warmer over here than I believe it is in uh, back home. Oh, it's fresh. You know what a good crisp. Um, yeah. Oh well, you oh, you spent a lot Dunners. of time in Dunners, mate. Oh. Gee whiz, how cold would it be there in uh, oh, mid June? I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was a scarfy down there, and then spent some time, uh, a significant amount of time, at the university. So I know exactly what you mean. Hey, you've had a fascinating career in your own right, David. I think another time I'd love to talk to you about your all the different caps and hats you've worn throughout the, the years, but in particular now in this role and being over there at the World Championships with this vote, which I think is extremely significant for a, a lot of different sports in the landscape in general, how do you explain what's gone on and the enormity of what FINA has been able to do here? Sure. Well, you, you're quite right. It, it, it is a, a very significant move by FINA uh, groundbreaking and, and quite historic. But I would have to point out that, that what FINA has done may not may not suit other international federations because, you see, what we're wrestling with here is the, the sort of three-pronged attack as to how we deal with inclusivity, fairness and safety. And for FINA, 
yesterday we heard exceptionally good um, information proposed by specialists in, in medicine and endocrinology and exercise physiology. We heard from lawyers who were versed in, in, in um, you know, the, the international law regarding such things as transgender. Uh, the the then then this was followed by two female athletes who were iconic in their own right summer sanders a, a U, usa olympic gold medalist and and kate campbell um the australian who was a multi-world and olympic champion and their voice really resonated throughout the room because despite the the good hard evidence produced by the science and then backed up by by the, the legal fraternity these women really gave the opinion of the biological female athlete and the importance it was to protect their rights. And I think that was the nub of the matter. Um, inclusivity is important, and, and this is not meant to be a, a transphobic decision that FINA has made. Um, transgender people are welcome in aquatic sport, but we've got to balance their needs against the requirements and the needs and the rights of over 50% of the world's population, namely biological women. And so that was the balance. It was fine. It was justified. And I think FINA has come up with a, uh, a solution that's going to make uh, life a lot easier for um, the many, many female athletes who have been wondering what, what will happen and, and the likes of Leah Thomas in the United States was the case that focused a lot of attention on aquatic sport. Hey, David, I, I just want to take my hat off to everyone involved in this uh, this vote and this decision and what a courageous decision it has been from FINA and its members, 71% yeah. of members voting uh, for this change of inclusivity, fairness and, and, of course, safety, which has been right yeah. at the forefront um, on everyone's lips when you're talking about this. And I, I agree with you, it's not about transphobic um, statements or whatever. But the question no. I have, where do you see this standing in sport with FINA's decision, um, especially for other sports that are trying to cope with the same issue? Yes, yes. Well, I, I see FINA as, as, as being a bit of a trailblazer, I think, as an in, in an international federation with with an investment in 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 fairness um it won't be the same uh, as we found with the pronouncement by world rugby a, a year or so ago which looked at safety rather than fairness you, you know you could imagine a transgender female rugby player um biologically male who has come into the sport with all the physical attributes that that male testosterone levels imbue their bodies with in terms of height i mean i have i have no permission to use him as an example but just imagine if richie mccaw decided to transgender and come back and play women's rugby he he has benefited from male puberty he is the the size he is he's got the um, cardiorespiratory capacity he's got the muscle strength and all those characteristics that differentiate males from females and that's essentially why we have what we term binary sport fairness to the female so if if richie came back and and, and wanted to play in in women's rugby um you know the the danger to other players uh, th this is the safety issue that is the balance that world rugby looked at fina was looking more apart from water polo which is a, an aquatic discipline of course where where safety would be an issue um there's no really necessary safety requirements in the pool um swimmers swimming in, in individual lanes are not going to impede each other's uh, progress. So it's more fairness 
So what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way is that one size does not fit all, but mm. FINA at least has investigated the science, the objective evidence, which is irrefutable, and then come in with the, the legal opinion, and then on the balance of, you know, proportionality, uh, given the, the vote to fairness over inclusivity. And I mean, that was the nub of the matter yesterday. Yeah, David, it, it, it absolutely was. And look, I thought that you said a name before, Sharon Davies. And look, I, I think one of the things that she said, which I thought was quite poignant, was sport by definition is exclusionary. We don't have 15-year-old boys racing in the under-12s. We don't have a heavyweight boxes no. with the bantamweights. The whole reason we have lots of different classes in Paralympics is so we can create fair opportunities for everybody. And I yeah. think that really hits yeah. the nail yeah. on the head. And now I know a lot of the attention will turn to this open class. And I think, yeah. as you say, well, not one size fits all, but an open class has been mooted for many sports in this situation before. What, um, I guess, what guarantees did you get from FINA that they were going to act swiftly so nobody was left out and we could get an open mm. class up and mm. running? Well, I think the FINA president made this statement right at the very end of the discussion and it was long and, and, and uh, somewhat convoluted debate, but it gave every national federation that was present in the room uh, over 180 of them an opportunity to ask the right questions and he said at the end that um, the door is not closed transgender athletes um, will be given an opportunity how they're going to configure the open category still remains unresolved and i think that's the you know the work that's still in progress and and that's the thought that that uh, he left us with so to be quite honest i can't i can't give you a definitive answer Apart from saying that we're not talking about a huge number of athletes, right? And that's that's part of the you know the debate we're having. You know, do do we do we expressly preserve the right of 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 biological female athletes, or do we consider the the rights of a very very few number of of transgender athletes that have got to the elite level? And and that and that's the balance of. Um, if if I said to you, for example, that there are fourteen and fifteen year old boys swimming you know good young male swimmers who are swimming times that would win olympic gold medals if they were swimming in in the women's category and it's exactly the same in track and field there's there's been research done to show that these are changes that are that, that are consistent with the development of young males and the effects of testosterone on puberty where testosterone levels are 10 to 15 uh, times higher and and it's it's kind of we we've got to get like against like. It would mm. be like asking Dame Sophie Pascoe, an iconic Olympian, to race against somebody who has two limbs, two lower limbs. And 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 Sophie, as a as a an amputee, um, is is racing against people with with similar disability. And I think that comparison needs to be drawn, and and we need to be reminded of 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 the fairness that that is the fundamental premise upon which FINA made its decision. David, I, I, I really do get the fairness, the, the side of that equation. Um, and yes, you don't want to put people who are, who are running and swimming in Olympic times um, with, with the wrong makeup. You know, that's just, that's yeah. logical. Um, but when you're talking in, in, inclusivity, for instance, you're to, mm. it's, it doesn't matter to me whether it's one or it's a hundred. How, how are you getting that voice to the table so that it's going back into that, the, the right areas to talk about um, the decision making and the process as far as an equity um, position goes? So, so do you, my, yeah. my question is, do you have transgenders sitting in through the decision making? Athletes well, sitting the in consult- through that? Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's a very, very good question. Um, 
The independence of this um, expert group that was um, assembled by FINA um, did consult with with uh, people who were well versed in in transgender. I, I'm there were no transgender athletes um, on on the the group, um, but but consultation was made and and respect and understanding for the the rainbow community, shall we say, uh, was was inherent in what they were saying. But at the end of the day, um, I'm afraid it just came down to to fairness for the majority and not closing the doors on inclusion. Um, and I know I'm starting to repeat myself, but, um, you know, we've, we've got to draw a line in the sand. Sport New Zealand at the moment is looking at engaging in recreation and community sport and allowing complete um, un, unrestricted participation by transgender um, a- athletes. Now, that's that's good, and, and, and I would welcome that, but I ask, Sport New Zealand, where do you draw the line? Where do you say to a transgender athlete who joins a club and starts to do pretty well um, and makes a team or or performs in an individual sport and then wants to compete at a provincial level or maybe even trial for a a national team, um, suddenly you say, look, I'm sorry, this is as far as you can go. Um, is, Is that right? Is that fair to them? Are we limiting their uh, development in sport? Uh, so, I mean, I think that's an issue that needs to be considered very, very closely as well in, in, this, in this general discussion. And, of course, when I make these statements, I'm, I'm accused of being uh, misogynist, homophobic, transphobic, you of name course. it. I've yep. been called all those things. But honestly, as a former Olympian who competed during the East German era, mm. now the men, the men that I swam against weren't as... Uh, as uh, benefited from the testosterone that was given to the, the East German athlete it was mainly the women that benefited from that. But nonetheless, I, I was a part of that era. And now as a, a physician looking back, I, I say that that's no different. You know, whether the anabolic agents are of your own natural making or they're, they're given to you artificially, um, the rules should be the same for, for all people. And that's why FINA expects athletes in the transgender who have transgendered to to limit their testosterone levels to 2.5, which is about the level of physiological level for all women. You guys in the room and, and I will have a testosterone level, you know, somewhere between 30 and 40. But the physiological limit for women is around two. And that's what FINA has done, implementing that objective measure as yeah. part of the process. And so um, that's, that's part of the way they've approached it. And it's certainly... Um, uh, evidence-based it's scientifically based and um yeah I, I i feel that that's that's the way i can best explain to you we've very probably, good. um got got off the question no, but no, um no. i hope that that helps no yeah. you've you've been um, wonderful with your explanation um uh, doctor hey david it's a really appreciate you and just from afar and obviously not being in the room yeah. and not knowing the ins and outs of it it does seem like fina has handled this in a really tactful way and it's science-based, yeah. but, yeah, as I say, from afar and listening to you, I know you would have been called those names before and people do cop unfair criticisms when you put oh, your yeah, neck yeah. on the line and I know that it's water off a duck's back to someone like yourself. But, um, you know, congratulations to getting to this point and th- actually just thank you for coming on the show and explaining it in a fair and kind of concise oh, way that you have. No, look, thank you very much for the opportunity and you mentioned Sharon Davies before. Just bear in mind that Sharon swam during that East German era and it cost her a gold medal. 
She was a silver medalist to a, an East German swimmer who was subsequently proven to be using mm. anabolic steroids. And that was the difference. And that's what really matters. You know, when you think of fairness in sport, you think of, of those issues, that we, the problems we had with the Chinese swimmers and track and field athletes. So we don't want history repeating itself in that regard. And then I think we've entered an era now of, of, of you know, considering inclusion in lots of different ways and this is just another challenge to us all we want to be as fair as we can but we've got to be fair to the the the, the proportion the greatest proportion of athletes who are going to be affected by this and there'll always be some casualties along the way and yeah you and i have got to be thick-skinned enough to to handle that and do our very best and that's why i i, I love what i do it's a voluntary job i'm over here working for the next two weeks um you know, tracking down COVID cases and trying to keep the athletes um, free of COVID and the officials. And, and we've got a medical team that, we, and we just enjoy the privilege of being back in the sport that we love. And, and um, hey, that's for me the most important thing. Now, we might have to catch up with you on the actual swimming and uh, talk some New Zealand swimming yeah. before it's all said yeah. and done. Dr. Yeah. David Gerard, Swimming New Zealand President. It's been great to catch up. All the best. Thank you, David. Cheers and many thanks. Bye bye. There you go. Uh, clear, concise, fair. Awesome. Absolutely. Look, uh, I played with and against uh, players that were taking anabolic steroids, and I can tell you, I always wanted this one one player. We knew that this other one one player who I played against was on them, but this one player when I was a lot younger, I had no idea. His body shape was poor, you know what I mean? But he had a motor on him, and I used to always wonder, how can you get through 80 minutes? like that and it was 10 years later that it came out that throughout his whole career and this guy played international football um, was on was on anabolic steroids I just think it's so unfair you know and when he's talking fairness level playing field mate if you want to have that type of attitude then go into what they call the open class and all of you take it and get on with it yep fair enough Kempi I don't have an experience like that but I can see where you're coming from sorry ex-president Swimming New Zealand ex-president Dr David Gerard just clarification this we typo on my end for logbook servicing you can rely on you need to make the right choice you need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications for real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty book in or book online at repcoservice.com